Welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drake Nelson and is a continuation of the series, Pillars. I want to start off really by telling you my testimony, how I came to faith, and really it's pretty simple, I guess. Like I said, I was a, um, I was a drug baby, meaning that I was drugged into church, and that meaning every aspect of the way. I can remember I was uh, seven years old, and it was a sunny night. It was about six o'clock service on a sunny night, and I was sitting about where maybe Leah sitting, maybe with Mr. Darren sitting somewhere up in there, in a church that I went to, and our preacher was up here preaching, and I can't re- really remember what the service was about, but I can remember at that age, God calling me and saying, hey, Drake, I want you to say something. I want you to say something. I want you to say something. And now in these days, my pastor would many times, he would walk around with a, uh, with a microphone and he would say, does anybody have anything to say? Does anybody have anything to say? And he would probably do this one time a year, Will, maybe two times a year. I mean, this was a common thing. Every now and then he would do it. And that night he did it. And I felt like God was speaking, hey, I want you to say something. It was the craziest thing. The first time I'd ever heard from God. And you understand that when I say I hear from God, it wasn't like I heard a, a, a voice. But it was um, just as clear. I can't explain it really. And so I said, okay, I will. And so I kind of raised my hand. And um, Brother John, Brother John Daniels, he walked down the aisle. He handed me the mic. And I, as a little seven, I, Kudos to him, because he was probably shaking his... He was probably just as nervous handing me that mic as I was this morning, you know? I was like, just don't drop it, okay? Uh, I love you, Jeremy, but I was so nervous. And, um, yeah, and so I said something, and then I sat back down in my seat, and I knew in that moment that I was a Christian. I knew that moment is the moment that I uh, put my faith into Jesus Christ. And, and I often, it's funny, because often I look back at that experience and been like... Even from a young man, even from the time that I was seven years old, it was like I was given a microphone and given a voice to speak out the gospel and to speak out this good news. And, and I often look back at that as my calling because I've kind of unraveled my calling and I, as I still am unraveling. And I often look back and say, from a child, it was like God was um, saying, trying to raise me up. And I went through junior high and I went through high school really. And I, and, and, and I remember in high school, I had this question. I don't know if you've ever had this question, but here was my question, and it plagued me. It said, it was this, if, I, if God is real, if God is real, then I, 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 then, then I know I'm on the right track with him. Because I'm telling you, I, I was like, I was really devoted. I was reading my Bible every day, praying, um, evangelizing. I was doing the best that I could, but I had these doubts in the back of my, I guess, mind about is God real? Is he there? Um, just because I was born in Mississippi and in the Bible Belt and just because I was kind of born American in a family that goes to church, because of that now, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But I doubted whether God was really actually real. And this started but in my 10th grade year. And so from my 10th grade year, probably going on to my 11th grade year, on into my 12th grade year, I spent the whole time going to church and doing all 
some things. And I wasn't Christian. I was saved. But I always had these doubts in the back of my mind. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say this? I always was like, God, will you show me your presence like you used to do in the Old Testament? I read these stories in, in the New Testament. I read these stories about some miraculous things happening. And in my life, I've never really seen a miracle. So, God, can you just show me yourself? I want to know that I know. And every single day since I was probably in the seventh or grade or sixth grade, I prayed for three things. I prayed for these three things. I prayed for wisdom. I prayed for um, um, faith. And then I prayed for humility. Every single day, every single night, I prayed the same three, for three things, I mean, and more. But those three things, every single night. And I was saying, God, can you please help me in my faith? Can you please help me in my faith? And I'll never forget it. Time and time again, he would do small things, but I would always like, okay, that was just a coincidence. That was just a coincidence. That was just a coincidence. And I would brush it aside and brush it aside and brush it aside until the day. I'll never forget it. I was sitting almost, um, Joey, I really wasn't sitting where you were sitting, honestly. I was sitting right here. It's amazing. I was sitting right here, second row, and our preacher was preaching, and it was probably, I would say, the second or the third time that I had heard from God in my entire life. The first was when I was saved, and this is probably the second, maybe the third. And in that moment, God said, and I say, I, I, I say God said, um, I felt in my spirit, if you will walk down to the front and you will pray, you will never again question me. You will never again question your faith. And I was on crutches at the time because I told my ACL and I said, God, okay, okay, if you want me to, that's what I'll do, okay? And, and I sat there, and I'm not kidding, I white-knuckled that pew. I was like, I'm not leaving. Because I kind of, I was like, I don't like going down to the front. I don't want people to think that, you know, my whole life's messed up or something. So I'm just going to stay here. And so I, I did. I would not move. And I kid you not, I cannot explain it. Please hear me. Um, this is my heart. And this is, um, I just start walking. Well, you know, living. <laughs> And I'm like, God, I don't want to be moving right now. And I am nonstop, like, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me. Okay, I'm going down this. And I'm legitimately not trying to move any muscles in my body. I'm just walking. I've never had anything like, have, I've never had that happen again. And I get down to the altar. I'm like, God, I didn't even walk. I don't even know how I got there. I, I was, in my mind, I was trying to just stay here. But I was walking. It was the craziest thing. And so finally, I just kind of, you know, get down on my knees and I start to pray. And I say this prayer, and now I'm crying because I don't even know what just happened. I'm like, God, please help me. Please prove to me that you're real. Please prove to me that you're real. And I get done praying, and I get back to my seat. And the first thought that entered my mind, that entered my mind was this. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Because I still felt the doubt. And in that moment, a girl that was in our choir... She walked down front and she looked at, this, now my pastor was um, Timothy McCaffrey, Brother Tim is what we called him. And so she said, Brother Tim, may I take the mic and I want to say something. And this had never happened in our church before. Nobody had ever, after the song had been played and the invitation had been done, asked to take the mic. And so I think reluctantly he said, okay, sure. And so she takes this mic and she tells her story. And here's her story. She says this. She says, I've always believed in God and I've always doubted God. So that got my attention. 
She goes on this whole story about her doubts and her whole life and kind of draws it all out in about three to four minutes. And, she, and this is her, I guess, um, this is now in her conclusion. She says, and I'll never forget. Now, this is her talking. I'll never forget the day that God spoke to me and it was just evident that he was real. This is how it went. She said, I have smoked. Nobody knew this, by the way. I have smoked for 30 some odd years and I've always kept it a secret but it was always what I wanted to do and I remember I was sitting there and I was walking down the road and there was this empty cigarette butt that I found and I just wanted to smoke it and so I grabbed it off the road I went into my kitchen and I smoked it and then I started I don't know how you do that but apparently she figured out a way to do it and then she said I started to cook dinner for my family and I just began to cook I was cooking spaghetti is what she was cooking it's crazy I remember. And so I was cooking spaghetti. And as I began to cook, I remember thinking um, in that moment, um, God's thinking to me, hey, I want you to get on your knees and pray. I I want you to get on your knees and pray. And so I kind of started to say, God, this isn't right. This isn't right. I'm I'm cooking, God. I'm cooking, God. I don't want to get on my knees and pray. And so she began to cook, cook. And she tells the exact story that just had happened to me. She said, I did not want to do it involuntarily. As I was cooking, I walked to the middle of my kitchen, still not wanting to walk. And my knees just gave out and I hit the floor in prayer. And the time that I hit the floor in prayer, I hear a knock on my door. I don't say come in, I don't go get it because I'm on the floor. Not, I'm not praying, I'm just on the floor on my knees. And this guy walks in. I had no idea who he was. Now, we lived in a small community, like smaller than Bone, Monticello, Mississippi. You've never heard of it, and there's a reason for that. Very tiny town. So you know everybody. This random guy walks in, knocks on the door, pulls the door open, and comes into her kitchen and says, Hey, I was running in the neighborhood. And when I run, I pray. And as I was praying, I felt that God laid on my heart to go to your house, knock on your door. And God spoke to me that when you go in, there will be a woman on her knees in the kitchen. And I want you to pray for her. And so that's what he did. And now this girl is on the floor like this. And she's listening to this story and like communicating with him. And so they have this crazy prayer together. And then they leave. And now come full circle to me sitting there as a little. 11th grade, 12th grade young man and now she is telling me her story and how this same thing had happened to her and I'm like, oh my goodness God, oh my goodness like this is crazy and I'm sitting there shaking like, oh my goodness, I can't this has never happened in the history of our church that somebody come down there and told their testimony like that and I remember when I heard it, I thought God, you are real God, you are real. God, you are real. And that was simply my story of how God reached Drake Nelson and how he came and he knocked on my door and how I opened it and I let him in and how I've struggled to this day. That is a little bit about my story and how God has proven himself. And I'll say all that really to say this. It's to say that when God knocks on your heart's door, please do this. Please 
let him in. Amen, Jeremy? Amen. Because when he does, and you let him in, it will be the very best thing to ever happen to your life. Every day will not be easy. Every day will not be perfect. And Lord knows, we will not be perfect. But when you let him in to your life, things will change. It will be the best decision that you have ever made. Thank you, Mr. Donnie. And so you say, well, what's the gospel? I mean, what is the gospel? What am I letting in? Let me break down. Here's the gospel story. Are you ready for this? Here's the gospel story. To everyone in here today, here it is. We see um, the story of Jesus going to the cross and um, everything seems to be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name is Barabbas. And um, we really don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned in the story, I'm not quite so sure. It's like, what? This is supposed to be about Jesus going to the cross. And so... In this moment, Pilate thinks that I hold the destinies of these two men in my hands. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. So Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug, and the rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? I mean, this is blasphemy. This is this has gone too far. There's no comparison. I mean, this is a rightful prisoner, someone who should be on death row. He leads a rebellion against Rome. He he is a rebel. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the shackles. But what has Jesus done? Besides heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open dead ears, heal the lame and the leper. What is what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We 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 want Barabbas. Yeah. Give us Barabbas. And the people say, give us Barabbas, and the Roman soldiers they own. They come up and they walk up the platform and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles and he walks down the platform welcomed by all his thug friends. Yeah, yeah, the people love me. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. I mean, there seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. I mean, there's no record of him that we have of him ever turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, we don't see any of that. And that's okay. And Jesus knew that. Jesus said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. See, Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. 
Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free, but no, 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 no. It was the love of a heavenly father. And I felt this, I was reading this the other day. God speaking, I love Barabbas. I love him. But God, he's a bad man. He, 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 he. Yeah, but I love Barabbas. But did you know that he would never acknowledge the free gift? Yeah, but I love Barabbas. And I wanted him to go free. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the nerve, the gall, the audacity of believers to think that I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep hole of bondage, I better work hard to break myself free. That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? I mean, what are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sexual temptation. You will never overcome it. You will not overcome it. You will just be another statistic. Your own merit, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion. It will not save your marriage and it will not save your kids. There's only one. There's only one. But God, I'm, 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 I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. I mean, we can play games. We can play church games and we can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why we're blessed. But we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. Your greatest challenge really isn't your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so high, so everlasting, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive, so vast, so high, so wide, so for me? God, give me your sin, son. Okay. And so I give them my sin and I stand in this empty place of acceptance and forgiveness while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I mean, I can see him. I see him walking to the post to be whipped as I stand a free man now. All the attention is turned and I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. I mean, where did we get all thinking that, that we were going to Fix ourselves. 
is still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If His love is sufficient for your salvation, then His love is sufficient to sustain you through every sin, through every challenge, and through every temptation. Jesus is enough. And so as we sit here today, I'll simply ask a, a, a question. Amidst all the craziness and all the... The world that we live in, I ask you the most important question, and that is this. Have you heard Jesus knock on your door? And have you let him in? Because before we are an American... A Republican, a Democrat, a son or a daughter, black, white, Hispanic, before we are any of that, we are two things. We are lost, or we are a child of God. And so my question today is that have you heard him knock? And is he knocking now? And will you let him in? He'll change everything about you. It'll be the best decision that you have ever made. So as Clay closes us out in song, I ask, if you feel called, if you feel God is knocking on your door, would you come? If you know someone that you say God is knocking on the door, would you come and pray for them? I know a lot's changed in the past 45 minutes for me. My sermon, my direction, everything. But I pray this. I pray everything has changed in the last 45 minutes for you too. And I pray that you'll give your life to Christ.